Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for getting here bright and early. I, uh, I'm going to audio record this session again, and I will. Um, I've, I've shared out a number of sessions this summer, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've shared this one before. For the recording, this is Creating Narrated Slideshows and Screencasts, and it's August the 8th, right? Correct? And today's uh, link, if you'd like to copy it down with all the resources, is the same prefix, wfriar.me slash CNS for Creating Narrated Slideshows. All of the, the resources, and if you didn't have a chance to get to the ebook session yesterday or, or um, if you, somebody else that I get to get here, if you uh, Google my name and click on my blog, at the very top of the search results, or uh, usually, is my, is my blog. So if you just put in West Fryer, the first link is going to be my blog, and there's a link at the top that says Handouts. And that handouts link actually takes you to um, a Google site which has all of the the links and resources for all of my sessions. So that's that's it here at the top, handouts. That's the one that you're looking for. And when you click that, it's got an index of uh, sessions, and you can come here to August for uh, the uh, three sessions that I've I've shared here. So... um, by show of hands, anybody been successful downloading the book? Been able to do that? Okay. If you haven't, um, I'll be happy to help you after our session or later today. I'm going to be around all day today, and I'll be happy to help you do that. So I really want to encourage you to play with media this summer. I want to encourage you to use some of these tools, to appropriate them, to, to use them for some personal things, because I think as we use media tools and create with media tools personally. We have some aha moments and we just get more comfortable using them in in an educational context. So the Blackfoot ETC code is going to be good through midnight. Um, And again, if you you don't have an e-reader, you can still download it and read it. I helped several people yesterday download the Kindle Reader, and that's for Mac and for PC. It's a software program that you can run on your you know, laptop or desktop computer, and you can access books you buy from Amazon, but then other ones that you download. You'll just want to get the Kindle version of the book, and then uh, there's a link on here to download that reader. So, Darren Karpatswa is a friend of mine who t- has taught math for years in Winnipeg, Manitoba. He now is a, in the curriculum office for his province, and I love this statement. Because so oftentimes in school, when we think about the Internet, we do just think about research. You know, that's where we're looking stuff up. And it is an incredibly powerful thing to be able to research and have at our fingertips a lot of information and and a lot of, um, you know, curriculum that we, we simply wouldn't have had before. But what Darren is saying with this quote, I think, is that the best part is the interacting. The best part is, is the, the networking, and it's this ability to be able to not just consume and take in content, but be able to share my own ideas and be able to interact with other people. And so today's session, um, we're going to focus on creating and specifically creating narrated slideshows and screencasts. Um, You've already, we, we talked a little bit about this quickly, but um, we didn't have a chance to share. So why don't we do that? You may be sitting next to somebody you don't know. Let me give you uh, about a minute and a half. Introduce yourself to your neighbor. And yesterday I had you think about 
uh, lesson that was impactful for you, something that you remember making and doing in school, tell your neighbor what that was, um, what that project was. You know, let's take about a minute and a half to do that. All right, anybody want to anybody want to share real quickly a sentence or two? What was the project that you remember vividly, and maybe why do you remember that from? Well, let's just show of hands first. How many people talked about an elementary project? Okay. How many did a middle school, junior high project, high school project? Anybody a college project? Anybody a project outside of school that you did? Okay. So anybody want to share one really briefly? We did salt flower maps of Montana. Yes, the salt map. Yes, we did salt maps of Texas every year in fourth grade, you know, the regions and... Okay. What else? In middle school, we did a topographical map of the Bitterroot Valley where we traced one elevation on cardboard and then the next elevation and then put spacers and build it up. I love relief maps. I just think they're so cool. But last summer when I was here with my dad, we got a relief map of Glacier, and I still haven't gotten it framed. But, I mean, it just it makes it more real, obviously. But to be able to create that and have to make that, I mean, it's just cognitively, it is just different than looking at something and, you know, trying to learn about it. So remember, I'm not saying every lesson, every week, all the time, you know, you're doing projects. You could, but probably that's not realistic. My encouragement to you is more than you have in the past, find ways for students to do a project. And don't wait till testing is over. That happens in Oklahoma quite a bit. Oh, great, it's May. We have two weeks of freedom, you know, three weeks of freedom. Great, now we can do projects. And it is good to do projects and engage kids at the end of the year and not just show movies, which sometimes we have folks that do. But um, really we need to be doing this all the time. Common Core is a reality for us in Oklahoma as it is for you here in Montana. And one of the challenges of Common Core is, is, is this, to engage students deeply with ideas, to not just be at the superficial level. I really enjoyed the video conference on Monday where we, uh, we connected to NASA and then the, the teacher who was doing the Carmen Sandiego and the facts and stuff like that. That was fun. But that was at a very basic knowledge and understanding level. Do you know this? Let me give you this clue. It's like a quiz show. And that's fun to do. And that, it, I'm not saying that's, that was not a good lesson. But one of the challenges for Common Core is we've got to go up Bloom's taxonomy. We've got to engage students deeply with content and have them go beyond, yes, I know the facts, to I can really talk to you about that and explain things about that. And, you know, I've got an understanding of things that aren't just black and white. It's not just like when, when was the Civil War, you know? Why was it that Lee ordered Pickett on Pickett's charge when it was probably pretty clear to most folks, knowing what the mini ball as a munition, you know, at that point in 1863, I mean, that might not have been a surprise to people about what was going to happen to all of Pickett's men. But why did that happen? You know, and understanding Napoleonic warfare and the whole mentality and how all those generals schooled at West Point and that was what they did. There's more to it than, yeah, you know, Gettysburg happened in 1863 and X number of, you know, thousands of Americans died. So I really like to use Bloom's Taxonomy as a framework for thinking about this. And I'm going to encourage you to challenge yourself and challenge the teachers you work with 
to take it up a notch, right? Isn't that what Emerald says? Kick it up a notch? How can we kick this lesson up a notch? Beyond what we've done before with facts, how can we move into critical thinking and get kids to really engage with questions that might not have a clear black and white answer or they definitely just don't have a one-sentence answer? I showed this yesterday. Remember, it starts with you and your courage. It takes courage to step out and try new things, especially with technology. So before I show you some curricular examples, I'll show you a personal example. Mother's Day this year, uh, no, is it this? Yeah, I guess so. Yep, 2012, there you go. Uh, I hadn't done this for a while, and one of the things I, you know, encourage folks to do is create media, connect with your family. What do you think this means? This video is unlisted? What do you mean? It's on YouTube. Aren't all videos on YouTube the same? Have to share the link. Okay. If if you does anybody have an unlisted phone number here? You might know someone that does. Can you call them right now if you know their number? Yeah, but we can't look it up, right? You have to know their number. So the same thing here. There are three settings for YouTube videos. By the way, how much does it cost me to have my YouTube channel? It's free. So in this case, and you know, I used to be a lot more scared about sharing by family online than I am now. It's true that at any time people could choose to stalk us, people could choose to do cruel things, and having media out there, you know, people could take it and, and do bad things with it. Um, so, you know, I used to probably protect everything that I published back in the early 2000s. And then uh, over time I grew a little more comfortable being able to share things and realizing, you know, just because, let me say it this way, <clears throat> we've never had a student in the country whose poetry has been shared online and they've been kidnapped, abducted, and killed, okay? It's never happened. Are there predators? Are there folks who want to harm children? There sure are. The statistics say over 90% of those folks are very well known to the parent. At our church, we had a training called Ministry Safe by some lawyers in Dallas that, um, was, you know, very, very troubling. But we learned a lot about grooming and how predators groom parents as well as kids. I mean, that's why the neighbor will say, well, he was such a nice guy, you know. Well, yeah, he'd worked really hard to act like a nice guy. So that stuff exists, right? But the fear which has been born from documentaries and things about, you know, media and the Internet, in some... In, to some level has been overblown to where some parents and, and teachers too will think that if I put the child's picture online, tomorrow they're going to be abducted. And, and it really is a personal thing that we've got to let parents decide about and kids, but there's a lot of ways to share kids' work without their picture and without their name. And we've got choices, okay? So that's what I want to say. You've got choices. So, yes, you can use YouTube. The disadvantage of making it truly private is I would have to be giving, I would have to have my dad and my mom's Gmail accounts, and they'd have to log into Gmail, to the Google account in order to see it. Making it unlisted, they can just have the link and see it. So this year, I actually, my mom has an iPhone. I actually emailed her the link on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. And she was at my sister's house in Liberty, uh, Missouri, just north of Kansas City, and she watched it on her phone. I'm not going to subject you to the whole thing, but we'll look at a little bit of it. Happy Mother's Day, Nana. Um, we're at our house, and I 
looking forward to. So I'm really excited about coming to your house in the summer for Camp Anna, and I really enjoy coming, and I hope you have a really good Mother's Day, and I hope you will be... Okay, I think I cut it off there. Yeah. It was like we did two and a half minutes, and each member of our family picked up, you know, just chose a picture and then talked about it a little bit, and we, we sent it to her. Okay? We put it on YouTube. We're going to learn how to do that today. Okay? Because there are several different ways that you can do a narrated slideshow like that with pictures that you find or you draw and then be able to share those online. Um, before I do this example and show you more examples, I wanna, I'm going to go back to the keynote and share a couple slides that I, that I didn't do yesterday about puppet video. This session is not about puppet video, but <clears throat> kind of similar, when we want to share voices, we don't have to be shooting full motion video of kids. We can do a lot of other things. And I've done some different uh, videos where we've used finger puppets and, you know, I've brought in a tripod and a camera and all the stuff, and then kids act out things, you know, behind a, a desk, make a little stage. Well, you can still do that, but now there are some great apps that allow you to create puppet video. This one is called Sock Puppets, and it says it is free, but it has in-app purchases. And I actually haven't played as much with this one. This one will actually move the puppet mouths as your, vo as your uh, dialogue, your audio is there. Um, this is the one that I've done the most with. It's called Puppet Pals, and I'll show you a quick example. It has a free version, but I really recommend the $3 uh, version. It's called um, HD Director's Path because it has all the characters, and there are like uh, maybe 15 different genres. I mean, there's political folks. There's you know fantasy characters. There's all kinds of things. So this is a little video that Rachel made in December called Santa Goes to Washington, D.C., and um, this was just something that she had fun creating, but it'll give you an idea about how a puppet app like this can work. And, yeah, it's great to have finger puppets and to do things uh, physically with puppets, but, you know, th there's another layer of complexity there as far as having the puppets and shooting the video and being able to do this on an iPad and uh, then have the video immediately shareable is a, is a pretty powerful thing. On a PC? Um, I've not seen any apps for doing that. There's a lot of animation apps, um, and there are, there are, um, there's an app called Extra Normal, and uh, Extra Normal will let you have characters and... It's with an X, Extra Normal. It'll let you have uh, characters and um, be able to you know, tell them a little bit how to move around, and then they can they can verbally talk. And so that that's one. And then you can pay for more characters and stuff like that. Um, but Extra Normal is one that's PC based. So yes, with all these things, as far as puppet video, there are going to be ways to do it on different platforms. But some of them are going to be easier than others. Fine. Oh, I'm Santa Claus. I've always wanted to go to Washington D.C. and see the president. Are you ready to go see the president? He sure would have liked seeing me again. 
school program that our church does for a middle school in Edmond and worked with kids who had not done anything with Puppet Pals before. And what do you, let me let you talk with your neighbor about this. What do you think the challenges are, even if you've got, you know, iPads for folks to share and kind of put the technology aside? What are the, the lesson coordination and student challenge issues with, with doing something like that, doing a Puppet Pal video? Take 60 seconds and talk to your neighbor about that. Students are not oftentimes used to doing projects, working in groups, um, being independently able to, um, you know, work towards a deadline. And with, a, with an app like this, a lot of times, who's worked with math manipulatives before? Okay. What do they usually always tell you about math manipulatives when you're going to get them out with students? What do you need to give them time to do at the beginning? They're going to play whether you give them time to play or not. So give them some time to play, you know, and try, and try to get them focused on what you're going to create. You know, it, it's challenging to, in, in this case, for, for a lot of the boys not to just make them fight, you know, and then to do something, you know, dumb that, that, that's not, that's not even a story. So, you know, this kind of project scaffolds and attaches really well to an existing writing project. You know, I, we talked a little bit about the story arc and about conflict and characters. You're, you're going to want to have something interesting happen in your story. What's going to be the plot? So... You know, simply getting out an app like this and giving it to kids is, doesn't lead to magical moments, uh, usually. Uh, but it scaffolds or attaches really well to writing activities that you're doing because it gives another platform and another way of sharing that maybe students have never never done before, and it can, can definitely be engaging, too. From a safety standpoint, what do you think about that, the puppet, the puppet video? Yeah, I mean, there's no identification of names at all. They're using voices. Uh, you know, kids will know their voice, and, and parents and others will. But there's a complete, you know, moving away from, oh, my gosh, my picture, my child, my, you know, name my child. No, we're, we're using voices. You know, we're using puppets. So narrated slides, that's not narrated slideshow. That's a little bit different. But it's, it's similar in that it's allowing students to be able to record audio and not have their picture on the screen, okay? Um, anybody like Ken Burns and Ken Burns documentaries? So I really think everybody should see The War. That's a long documentary called all of the documentaries, you know. Um, I haven't seen all of the national parks, but I don't know which ones you've seen of his, but he was the one who pioneered that Ken Burns effect, they call, you know, where you zoom in, you zoom out on the image. These are not that fancy. These are uh, most of these, I don't think this, this one may have a little bit of zooming. Um, this one was actually created with Photo Story, which is pr probably the best program, mic free program Microsoft ever made. 
Um, and if you've got Windows computers, Photo Story is a very good application to have. And so I will not play the entire thing, but this librarian in Midwest City, Oklahoma, which is one of our Oklahoma City suburbs to the east, created this uh, two years ago in October at a workshop, and she is just talking about why we need to tell stories and record them. Have you ever held a photograph and wondered why it was in your box of photos? Or have you ever looked at your cousin's photos online and wondered who all of these people were? What kind of memories or sentimental value do these pictures have? Do you linger over these pictures of unknown people? Who are these two people in an old photo album from 100 years ago? No one bothered to write down who these people were. Or do you see your great-great-grandparents and know their story of how hard they worked on a farm and that those photos were luxuries they rarely could afford? Here's a picture of a group of children in uniforms. Who are they? Is one of them related to me? What is the reason for taking this photo? Were they in a parade? Where, did, where is it taken? Is that a school in the background? Did they play instruments or did they sing instead? Who was their teacher? We have been told that a picture is worth a thousand words. If this is true, why is it that we have unidentified photos in our boxes? Why is it we don't remember those stories after a couple of years? Why is it they no longer hold the joy they once did when we took them? Everyone has a story, and it needs to be told. Yes, pictures help tell the story, but it's not the story itself. When documenting or journaling about the photos, tell the five W's, who, what, when, where, and why. Here are some pictures of landscapes. Questions run through my head. I think of things like, what's the historical perspective of this photo? Was that building built by the Workers' Progress Administration back in the Depression? Or did they catch a mess of fish in that lake? If so, how big were they? <laughs> what about the picture of these ladies? There are three generations to represent it. Was this at a family reunion? Was it a mother-daughter tea? What could it be? I did find this nurse. Someone had picked up a photo album, maybe at an antique shop. The caption read, from a mostly uncaptioned photo album, possibly North Africa, circa 1943. Who could this be? Why had she become a nurse? Was this a part of the war effort? What kind of music was popular back then? What's on the records at the bottom of the radio cabinet? This photo could have easily been captioned. Okay, I'm not going to play the rest of it. Um, it's about five minutes long. But... No, there are all kinds of stories all around us. And one of the things that we can have students do, and I'm very passionate uh, through our Story Chasers project uh, of doing, is encouraging oral history projects and encouraging kids to interview and, and do those kinds of projects. Um, I mentioned this yesterday. I want you to think of visual literacy and digital literacy as a menu. And this slide I also showed, and what we're going to do today is we're going to create one of these. We're going to create a narrated slideshow. And... Um, we will probably go ahead and do a story in five photos, and we'll take it to this level. You don't have to. You can simply ask your students. Do any of your students have cameras now? Right. Not everybody, but many of them have cell phones that will take pictures. And so 
you can do an activity with students that's a story in five photos and, and ask them, you know, in five photos, I want you to communicate to me X. You know, I want you to show me the water cycle. I want you to take um, the, the Romeo and Juliet, and I want you to summarize the plot. Oh, my gosh, what do you have to do first in order to do that Romeo and Juliet assignment? You're going to have to know Romeo and Juliet. Okay, or if you're going to do a fairy tale, someone wanted to, we, we did, I, I've done these with fairy tales before, and someone wanted to do uh, Rumpelstiltskin, I think. And I'm not really up on Rumpelstiltskin. I mean, I need some review. So I'm not ready to do that, because I, I couldn't synthesize, you know, the plot of it and be able to adequately put it in five pictures if I don't know it. So that gets to that idea of, you know, creating something at the top of Bloom's taxonomy can require the lower level knowledge, but I've got to make decisions about how to put that together. To get to a digital story, which can be very compelling, takes a lot of different pieces. And that's a, that's a great project to make, but a narrated slideshow can be on the way to a digital story. And one of the things that I've seen with a lot of student projects is that they're really, a lot of times kids will not create a digital story. It'll be a tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay, the fact stuff. You know, here's facts, here's facts. Could they tell, do their volcano project as a story? Sure. You know, the, we're gonna about to see one about the Iceland volcano, Ayafiyetje Yurkel. Okay, were there any stories that were interesting about stuff that happened, you think, during that volcanic eruption that shut down airports in Europe and people got stranded and, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. But our tendency with a lot of media projects and PowerPoints is to just do facts, facts, facts. And that's okay, but what I want us to see is that there's a progression. If we get here to the digital story, it's probably going to stick more in our brain because our brains are wired to do that. This is an actual slide used by the Pentagon in April of 2010 to try and describe our wartime strategy in Southwest Asia in both Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, this is ridiculous. There's no one who is going to be able to, and I you know, don't have that full screen, but even full screen, there's just too much text on the screen. It, and it's really not, not helpful. And this New York Times article was, we have met the enemy and he is PowerPoint. We need to end PowerPoint abuse. And so, did some of you see this last year when I was here? I'm not going to play the whole video. It is a great one by Don McMillan. He's a comedian. And he's saying, let's stop doing all the bad things with PowerPoint. You know, bad color schemes, terrible fonts, um, too many you know, data points on a graph, all that stuff. So that's a great video to take a look at. And I mentioned this yesterday, Gar Reynolds' book, Presentation Zen, is a very good book, talking about how this is a visual medium. Let's, you know, present with images. So uh, my favorite post that Gar has written is this one about... Um, Star Wars, uh, and it, it talks about the ending of Episode Four in 1976. General Dodonna is briefing the rebel troops before they attack the Death Star for the climactic end, and he doesn't use, you know, text bullet points. Now it's visual. He's explaining it and he's using images to communicate his idea. And that's what we can do with slideshows, and that's what our students can do. You do not want your kids to stand up and read a PowerPoint. You know, in the business community and also in the professional development community, you're not successful if you do that. That is not good practice. How many great PowerPoint or um, yeah, just how many great multimedia presentations have your kids seen? Have they seen very many? You know, there's places online um, to be able to see some of those. Um, and anyway, it's, um, that, it's, a, it's a process. 
So I showed you these pictures yesterday morning, and I'll go ahead and show a little bit of the video. Uh, the story was Rachel had her first haircut. We had this project that said share, you know, tell a story in five photos. And I had taken these pictures, and then my friend Karen said, hey, why don't you get Rachel to talk about her pictures? Okay? So that became a voice thread, and we'll just have a little bit of this play. Um, what happened? I want my hair short. Um, so I want a short haircut, so they cut it. <laughs> to the end because you can have multiple pictures in a PowerPoint I mean a voice thread we're going to hear some comments too But that's not what she said. She said gorgeous, you know, because she's a Kiwi. That's really different and powerful. And so VoiceThread, whether you have Windows computers, Mac computers, it's a web-based, and they do have an app now, but it's a web-based way to create narrated slideshows which other people can comment on. So all these pictures are comments that people have left. And if you noticed earlier, there were little yellow um, boxes around some of them. Those had not been approved at the time I recorded this and made this screencast. So VoiceThread lets you moderate the comments. And by default, it's private. You have to decide whether or not to make it public. Had we kept that one public, what would have been different? Only comments from the people we sent it to, right? But by sharing that, it allowed other people to be able to leave comments. And, um, you know, Rachel was a, like a rock star when she was three. And there's like 50,000 views of this. That's really not the biggest deal. And that's not what we necessarily need to strive for. It's a difference in audience. And it's an opportunity to be able to have an audience beyond the classroom. How many of you are in small schools? Okay. Lucy and I were talking about this yesterday. You know, in Oklahoma, we've got over 500 school districts, and most of our districts are less than 200 kids. Uh, you all have some 
some really small schools. You know, I, I visited with some folks yesterday, less than 20 students, you know. What an opportunity. And it doesn't matter whether it's small or big school, but, but it, it just really hit me that what a great opportunity to be able to have audience for your students and connections for your students beyond the walls of the classroom, beyond your community. VoiceThread, I've loved for years, and I'm not connected to their company, don't have any, you know, sort of relationship with them other than I love them in terms of what they allow us to do because their company literally started with a photograph of family members and these two brothers were like, well, I don't know if they were brothers, but they were family members and said, what happened here? Can we talk about this? And, and everybody wasn't together and so they built this tool that lets you talk about pictures. So voice thread, think about that as a tool. All those options. So you, you have to have, in order to do audio, some kind of microphone. So you can use a built-in mic. You can plug a microphone in. You can also use text. And you also can record video, although I haven't seen as much of that used. Um, you know, just having the audio. You can call with a telephone. They give you certain amounts of free minutes. What you can't do is, like, give people a number and say, here, call, call and leave your comment. It's something that you have to do, like, in class and then it counts for you as cell phone minutes. But there are, you know, four or five ways that you can get content onto the voice. Um, you mentioned sharing the classes. Did you have that with that program? Did you need an email address? Mm-hmm. And I work with elementary school students. Right. So, so uh, I'm trying to find a workaround. Like, if I have one email account for the whole classroom, or right. what? One way to address that is to have a class voice thread, you know, that we are going to share. The challenge with that is, well, because what, what you can do with voice thread when you, when you comment is you can choose the uh, persona that you're going to have. Here's one that we did this summer, that, and this is a five-photo story. I'm going to pause this. You can click down here at the bottom, and you can choose what persona you want. We haven't changed these in a while. My kids are looking a lot older than this. Um, we did some stuff with Girl Scouts. So we got a little Girl Scout icon, and, and then the girls just commented, and they didn't have – you don't have to use a picture. You can use an avatar, an icon. But you could have, you know, 15 or 20 of those, and your kids could have, have their own icons and select that. One of the best ways to uh, address the – my kids don't have email and they can't have email issue is to um, use a trick for for Gmail where you add a plus and then something else to your email address. So uh, let's say my address was class at gmail.com. I can add plus Wes to that address and it just delivers that email to my box. I'm not creating a new email. But what it lets me do when I register for a, a service is it lets me use that as a different email. So the, the service sees it as this is a new email address, but it's really not. It will deliver to my box. If the you know, student forgets their password and needs to reset it, it comes to my box. And there are... Um, yes, you can. And so if I... And I don't have this link on our handout, but if I Google... Um, Gmail accounts, students, um, yeah, there you go. Multiple Gmail accounts for students. Um, this link, I'll go ahead and add this after our session to our handout so you can see this. 
Sue Waters is in Australia, and she supports the EduBlog blogging community. Uh, this is her blog, the, the, uh, the EduBlogger. And so she is describing step-by-step, step, you can't see that very well, um, the process that you can do, how you can, how you can set that up. So that's a little trick. That was only on Google. I don't know another um, email account where that'll work. Um, so let me go ahead and play. Let's see. I have a question. Yes. Um, the other day at one of the um, Jason methods, he was mentioning um, mail cache. Right. Yeah. You know, I would probably not hear that way for a student email because you can be sure that a kid's going to forget their password. And if you use a, dispos a truly disposable account, you, you can't recover it. They'd have to create a new account. So um, that might be more when you're just going to register for an account yourself and play with, you know, and you're not, you don't really know this site, you just want to play with it because the more things you sign up for, the more email you usually get, you know, from those sites. Now, there are other options for student email. Um, ePals is a company that does student email and that, is that right? Who, who, what are you all using for email? Google Apps and kids have their own Google account and you can monitor those. ePals is a great organization, but it's not the one that I'm thinking of for student email. Our, our, the district I'm working with, UConn Schools, we are on the edge of giving students email. We haven't yet, but um, we're, we're really close to that. And I think it's a really important thing to do to, to provide them email because it's, there's so many things that you need to do with email. Oh, my gosh, my kids are under 13. We can't do it. Yes, you can with parent permission. You know, parents give you permission, and they sign, you know, that you're authorized to do that, and you can create that. So um, if you go to that website, uh, maths.playingwithmedia.com, it's not complete. Everything's not finished, but some of them are pretty well fleshed out. And so story in five photos. You've got a definition, a workflow, or an explanation of what to do. Um, you know, if you would like to read a journal article that took the, guy, the scholars three years, I think, to publish and get online after they wrote it, um, it talks about five picture charades. Who's heard of Pecha Kucha before? I, I talked about it last year with, with a slideshow. It's a 20 by 20 model. In, in terms of have your kids seen effective presentations, preview them first, right, because this is not a, an educational site and, you know, it's possible somebody's going to use some language you're not going to want to play in your class. But there are hundreds of example presentations. These are all six minutes and 40 seconds long because 20 slides, 20 seconds a slide. But they're full-size images, and the present, many of the presenters are very dynamic talking about interesting things. So you can use those as examples to show students, and then you can use that as a model. So let's take a look at some examples of some student-narrated slideshows. Last year in, what month was it? January. My daughter, Sarah, who was in sixth grade for her earth science class, was assigned a volcano to do the report about, IFBA Yagurkul, okay? So on a Saturday, her two partners came to the house, and they had been doing lots of research before this, and they put it together in this narrated slideshow. They used an app called Explain Everything, but they built their slides in PowerPoint, okay? And in PowerPoint, you can save as an image, and that's how they built this. So as you look at this uh, two-minute and 14-second video, 
and I'm going to give you some time to talk about this afterward. I want you to think about the pieces to the puzzle. What did these kids have to do in order for them to create this product? And what do you see as the value to having this kind of a product versus them just standing up in class, turning on PowerPoint or Keynote, and presenting for the class? I just get your goal. And then what do you see as the value of this kind of a product shared as a video in front of class versus just, here, present your PowerPoint for us. Get up, stand up, do it. Okay, take two minutes to talk to your neighbor. Okay. Let's, let's get a couple, couple folks to share. What about what it took? What were, what were some of the pieces to the puzzle? Is this an impromptu event? No. What did it take? Took the research. And eventually a script. Yeah, we had to, I mean, it was written. And you might have been able to tell, I can really, I was in the next room as they're working. You know, many of those were recorded over and over again to get pyroclastic right, to get Ayurkel right, you know. And, and those are important things, right? That's vocabulary. That's part of the rubric. Those were things that the, the teacher said, I want you to teach about. Okay, what else did it take? Yeah, I'll tell you. The collaboration pieces are important, um, and learning to work with others—it's—it's—it can be tough, but it's important to do. Okay. 
Uh, what about the value of having it as a, as a narrated slideshow like that? That's right. You can record it over and over again, and it, it is really different recording it with two other peers in the room versus I'm in front of my whole class. And by the way, I had a bad morning, and I didn't have breakfast. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen. So getting the opportunity to record it, do it repeatedly until you, you get it right, that's a big deal. What about images in this? Was that at all important? They were cited, so they included links to show where they came from. You're hearing the text, but you're focusing on the image, so your brain is kind of in a different place than if you were just seeing bullet points. I was thinking of the stance, the core, common core for science and the emotion that's attached to doing this yourself. And the more emotion you attach to learning, the longer it sticks with you. That's right. So yeah. I think that coming up with a photo, but doing the research, They'll remember about volcanoes. Every time there's a volcano in the world, oh, yeah. they'll come to you and say, oh. I know what I'm thinking of, I didn't know how to pronounce Iafia Yurko before this, but, you know, I knew a little bit about it, but, I mean, even for me, I've seen this now probably like 20 times. You know, what does that mean? Well, it's been reinforced. And it's definitely reinforced strongly for those who did it. So there's a whole lot that goes into this. The teacher, to her credit, you know, rubric, here's what I want you to do. And she gave the kids choices. Now, an interesting backstory to this is I got a phone call the day that Sarah was sharing this in class. She was in tears saying, Dad, we're not allowed to show our project. What? Because this is the first year teachers in Oklahoma City Schools, district of 40,000 plus kids, have been allowed to show YouTube. This teacher had never had someone come before and say, I've emailed you my project. Can you play it? And so I said, okay, honey, I'll, let me call the principal. And I did. And she sent the assistant principal to her room. It's going to be fine. She can play the video. You know, and, and it had a good ending. But this is, this is the first time this teacher had ever had kids. I mean, she was mad at the kids and upset, thinking she was going to be in trouble because their names were on the Internet. Well, whose house have they been at when they did this? The parents? And we had said this is fine. And, and you know, there, were a lot, there was a lot of fear but there's also learning, and so they've modeled that. So maybe now this year, more students will find a way to do a narrative slideshow, put it on YouTube, and then have a way to bring it to class. I did. Yeah, I did. Yes. Yes. Um, all right, yes. Um, there is um, one of the sites, of, and I disconnected from the, uh, I'll put it up at the end. There, basically, the link it, um, has a share instead of maps, and I'll, I think I'll add it to my map site as well. I've got um, a couple links, one to a school in Georgia and one to Kansas City Public Schools for their permission forms where the, the parents give that permission. I think it's a me, a really good idea for districts to just include that as part of the, the other permission forms, the discipline management, the, the things that parents sign off on, and to have it opt out. If you'd like to opt out, you can, um, but that way it's signed and it's taken care of. And, you know, if there's a child who we don't want to share their work, then we're aware of them, um, or if it's just their picture. I mean, in this case, you know, we wouldn't have even, they wouldn't have had to have their names on there. They didn't have their pictures on. Question in the back. Last year, or whenever a two-year-old in school, you do the thing where you have a photo in the yearbook. 
And it can grow and build, and that's something that's happened in different schools, especially um, Mabry Middle School is an example, and I have the link from their former principal, Tim Tyson. They had digital film festivals, like uh, Academy Awards of videos each year, over seven years. And what they saw over time as they celebrated student media work and they really made a big deal out of it, is the kids wanted to be involved. And parents were able to see, wow, look at that, you know. We don't, I mean, my kid doesn't have to be the actor or the actress, and even if they are, that can be a great thing and not the, this terrible thing. So, um, the app explained everything. I'm going to demonstrate here in a minute how to, how to go ahead and create a narrated slideshow with. Uh, in fact, let me just go ahead and do that right now. I have, yes, ma'am? It's a good point. You know, when I worked at the university, we had to pay really close attention to 504 accessibility, and we, um, we there were things we did with um, with uh, being able to have a um, a sign, someone who could sign, you know, for things, and then. Lucy talked a little bit about the, the video captioning and the ability to do captions. So there are tools that can do that. And, and YouTube even has some automatic captioning. It's not perfect, but there are those features. That's another good reason to share on a site like YouTube is because of the captioning that's available. And um, then there's also transcription you know, tools that you can do. So I think we need voices that are continuing to remind us about the importance of accessibility because as we get more and more media created, um, you know, it's not like we're universities with huge budgets and, oh, we're making this video and we had an extra budget of $200 to, you know, to pay the person to do the transcription or to, you know, do the accessibility thing. So what I'm doing right now is I'm mirroring my screen to my laptop. So I can wander around the room wherever I'd like to be. Um, and I'm using a $15 application called AirServer that has turned my, my, my laptop into an Apple TV so that I can turn on my mirroring. And what I'd like to do is um, I need to get some pictures off of my iPhone because I need all the pictures that I want to use here on my device, um, on, on my laptop. Now, you don't have to use an iPad to do a narrated slideshow. Photo Story is the, is the application that um, I was showing first. That's a, that's a great application. Um, no, what did I just say? Photo story. Photo story is, is great, but voice thread is even better. Um, so let me, uh, let me get some pictures. And what I'm doing now is I've got a little app called, um, oh, those are old ones. This is Kevin Honeycutt from last year. My, it puts the new ones here. Here's a couple of pictures I took out of the, the window of the plane flying here. This is a little app called PhotoSync, and what it lets me do is it lets me synchronize pictures in between devices so I can um, go grab uh, pictures from my, um, send things to my iPhone. I can also um, get things from it too, and that's actually what I, what I wanted to do here. So took a picture this morning, there's a conference. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I wanna sync to my iPad. So here comes three pictures over the wireless network um, from my phone to my iPad. Um, 
The easiest way usually to do this with students in the classroom is to have pictures that are on a web page and then students can go to those pictures, save them, and put them on their photo roll. So I took this this morning and I just lost my connection here. Um, so what I'm going to do, because, you know, the, the, the fancy mirroring thing works great sometimes, but sometimes when we're recording and things like that, it can be better to just plug in. So I'm going to just go ahead and plug in for this demonstration. Oh, gosh, it's 10 o'clock. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up the app, explain everything, and show you how I can make a project. So I'm going to choose the button that says New Project, and I'm going to import from my photos. And that's why that first step of finding your photos or getting your photos on your device is important. So here are the three photos that I just copied over. I say done, and it's going to load those up in here. Oh, that was upside down. Um, and I'm going to be able to manipulate them, and, you know, I could put multiple pictures on one slide if I wanted to. I can add text. Um, it's, it's similar to if you saw yesterday in the ebook example. Um, it's similar to, to that. So uh, I've got to de I'll decide first what order I want these pictures to be in. And, uh-huh, this is explain everything. I'm going to just go ahead and use my fingers and rotate, size that like I want it. Okay, that picture is going to look fine like that. I hit the little arrow um, down here in the bottom. I don't know why that came in upside down. I took that one this morning walking to our conference. And then this is my favorite sticker. I found. Okay, so uh, what button do you think I'm going to push to do recording? Okay, if it was a microphone icon, that would make sense. I don't have a microphone icon. In this case, it is the red button, so I could plug in a mic or uh, the one here. You're right. What's that? Huh. Okay, it's a magnifying glass. It does look like a mic, but it's a magnifying glass. So it's saying that I can I can use my fingers to, to pinch in and out. But yeah, that it does look like a mic. Push the red button and recording starts. Hi, this is Wes Fryer and it's August the 8th, 2012, here for the Educational Technology Conference in Missoula, Montana, sponsored by Blackfoot Communications. So I hit pause. The big thing here is if I've made a mistake and I want to and I want to re-record this one, I can simply hit the arrow to go to the left and re-record that. I don't have to start all over. And now I can go to my next slide and I can, you know, repeat the same process, recording my audio and, you know, then it's going to go in for this slide. When I'm finished and I'm done, I can uh, save this file and give it a name. And then I have different choices about how this project can be shared out with the world and explain everything gives me a lot of choices for what I can do. Um, I'm going to choose export, and when I select what I want, I can send it to my photo roll right on my device. I can send it right to YouTube. I can also send it to Dropbox or Box.net or another place. So um, my top two recommendations for doing narrated slideshows are going to be VoiceThread and explain everything. 
um, explain everything requires that you have an iPad. Um, so that's not going to be, you know. You know, I need to play more with that. There are folks who really like edgy creations, and I have not. That's a, that's a free app that you can do. The, the free iPad app I've played the most with is called Show Me, and that was an example that I showed you yesterday. So um, really quick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up. Um, there's more examples that we can show of VoiceThreads. Um, there's lots of projects to be able to see. Um, this is a, just a five-photo story that kids did about a fairy tale, and they did this with the Show Me app. Um, this is a great, great elementary website from Santa Monica, California called mathtrain.tv, and the kids are explaining math problems, and they are creating the videos and the screencasts. Um, I'll play this one really fast. Thank you. that a fifth grade teacher does for his students. They use a, a program called, um, well, they don't use ScreenFlow to do this. I think they use Camtasia, and the kids use different names to do this. So um, I'm going to skip to the end. Kate is here to make sure we, we get finished. That's okay. Um, please, please, I'll just close with this. Remember the power of words and the importance of words and the power of voice. Audio has less complexity than video. Video is kind of the, the coolest, sexiest, ooh, we're making video. But, man, it takes a lot to, to create a good quality video. Simply taking pictures and putting audio with them can really be compelling. It can be powerful. And it can be a way to break down the process a little bit more so that um, students are going to be able to be successful. We want them to be successful. And yes, can they create full videos? They sure can. But narrated slideshows are a great way to use images appropriately, practice that oral fluency, and then, you know, learn to be more effective communicators. So I wish you luck. Let me know what you do and enjoy the rest of the day.